welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we bless you that you are bringing us into greater fruitfulness, not less. And you are teaching us to pray, all of us, in our families, our homes, our business places, our schools. You're teaching us how to respond to this community and to see souls. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you for your great longing, loving heart that's going after the world through us. We obey you. We choose to obey. And now, Lord, we would also open our hearts to the word. Teach us your word. We bow our knee to you. And you are the one who has superintended over this Bible. It is your word. We believe every bit of it. And today, as we listen to the Apostle Paul, teach us, disciple us. We give you soft hearts. Help us hear. Help me hear. Lord, we would obey you in Jesus' powerful name. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. And if you had any doubt what kind of church you're in, once you looked at the title, you go, uh-oh. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 7 down through 19. We are in a series on the Holy Spirit. I don't generally do series, but I felt led to do this. And so since really, I, I was at the end of May or so, I've just been teaching through it. The subject of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit in particular. I feel like all these years of, of learning and studying and walking through Scripture with you, uh, God has taught me things and shown me things and they've solidified things in my heart. And he said, I put it down, get it out. So I'm, I'm doing that. And now we're going through these chapters of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14. Why those three? Well, those particularly... Uh, are the chapters in which Paul is speaking to uh, the church in Corinth, and he's revealing how the spiritual gifts should be working. How do you minister in what he calls the pneumatica, the things of the spirit? He says, here's how I want this to function. So we're, we're, going, we're just going through it. I'm going through it in pretty big chunks, uh, but the topic by topic, looking at these things so you and I can obey him. Always, why do you study the word? So you can obey the word. You can understand it. You bring it into your life because obedience brings blessing. You see, salvation is by grace, his mercy. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gives it to you. You receive it by faith. But blessing is through obedience. You can have a saved person who's not obedient, believe it or not. And if they're not obedient, they're not blessed. And so you can look at lives that just are crashing from one wall to the next, just boom, 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 making nothing but trouble, but they're saved. Hallelujah, they're saved. Obedience, if you want obedience, you obey. And you obey what? You obey the word of God. This is the revealed will of God. So you obey it. You say, how do I live this? What does it look like? How do I practice it? How do I put it into my home, my family, my, my thought life? How do I bring it into obedience to the Lord? Because I want his blessing. And let me tell you something. His blessing is so real. His blessings, his promises are absolutely yes and amen. 
No joke. That's not just talk. And many of us here, if you've lived this a long time, you've lived this for, for five years and actually been walking in the ways of the Lord, you're watching your life, your family, your whole, your whole focus change, aren't you? Things begin to come together. Yes, there's all kinds of broken pieces swirling, but slowly but surely that piece gets fixed, and then this piece gets fixed, and then these people actually reconcile. And, 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 and as time goes on, there comes in the shalom. We, we, you know, I, I'm looking on, on, on my phone, and I'm seeing all of these things about Thanksgiving. Everything I saw this year about Thanksgiving was how to deal with troubled family. How to survive the holidays. That, you know, that kind of positive message. Uh, <laughs> implying that you're getting these hideous people together in, all in the same time for a room. How to endure this horrible experience and get it over with without any damage to the walls or your children or anything. Yeah. Great message. We had 20 people. Boy, was that a, you know, in, in, we don't have a big house. And so we've turned our living room into a dining room. And we've got tables stuck on the end. And we had all of the, <laughs> this going on. And you're just kind of, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know. And we had a great time. We had, all, we had family. We had not, people who aren't related, but they're spiritual family. Uh, we had all kinds of people in there. Children running all over the place. And nobody fought. Voices weren't raised. And nobody's perfect. But we have Jesus in our home. And we've been walking with him, and we have learned to forgive. We have learned to check our tempers. We have learned to speak the truth. We have learned to be kind. Why? This beautiful book and this beautiful Savior has taught us how. You want to be blessed, you learn to obey. That's why we go through the Bible the way we do. That's why we learn it. That's why we study it verse by verse. We're not, it's not silliness, it's not academics, it's obedience. It's life. In him is life, and the life was the light of man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts. He's, he's, he's dealing in a disciplinary way. Yes, he's correcting the church in Corinth. They're a wild bunch, and they really are. Um, they apparently, when they gather, they all speak in tongues out loud, uh, for a long time with no interpretation or anything. So they just roar in tongues, apparently, and, and, and go at it. Uh, you can imagine how visitors handle that. Uh, they're like, wah! And so Paul is correcting them. And what we're hearing him do is he's not saying, hey, stop speaking in tongues. He's saying, I want it brought into submission. I want it brought into order. And here's the order I want. So he's pastoring a bunch of undisciplined Pentecostals. And telling them how to have church in a positive, healthy way. It's a beautiful passage, an important passage. And I'll bet you you've never heard it preached on. Uh, it, it's just, these, these, this whole section is it's just kind of zipped over and you, you look at a thing or two, uh, but it's pretty well ignored. So today we're going to listen to our apostle and listen to what he says. So here we go. He's talking about prophecy and tongues and he's saying here's how love will guide you in the use of the gifts of the spirit and he has just said if I come to Corinth and I I uh, do nothing but speak to you in tongues you won't learn a thing he said I've got to speak to you in your language in that case it would have been Greek 
I've got to speak to you in your language, and I've got to bring to you revelation and knowledge, prophecy and teaching. That's how I'll edify you. And then he says this at verse 7. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kind of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. He uses that word. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Let's read that verse 12 out loud together, whatever version you have. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. I'll go on. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, if I do what? Notice that word. He's, He's telling us the purpose of tongues. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit does what? And my mind is unfruitful. But what is the outcome then? I will do what? Pray Pray with the spirit. And I will what? Pray Pray with the mind also. I will sing. Aha, he brings another element into it. I will sing with the spirit. And I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you, now look at this word, what? Bless in the spirit. He is telling you what you're doing. Only... How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your what? Giving of thanks. Since he does not know what you're saying for you are what? Giving Giving thanks. Well enough. But the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Those of us who have seriously tried to understand what Paul is saying in this section of his letter to the Corinthians have probably ended up confused. We've been so misled by commentators, and even by the way certain verses are translated. Some of you have got translations that talk about tongues of ecstasy and things, all kinds of things that have been put in this thing that it is very difficult to hear what Paul is actually saying. There has been so much resistance toward the subject of speaking in tongues that anyone who has looked for help has been told that Paul didn't believe that tongues was really a language. I, I read that I easily five times in, in different commentaries. I have a stack in front of me, old, old stuff and some recent. Uh, Paul, that Paul didn't really think it was a language. That he actually wished that the Corinthians would stop speaking in tongues. (laughs) Some of them have this theory that when he says, I speak in tongues more than you know all, what he's doing is getting in good with them so that he can dial them down. That that is deceitful manipulation. That's amazing that you would accuse the Apostle Paul of deceitful manipulation because you don't like what he said. 
and that he thought it turns a person into a barbarian. Now that shocked me and offended me. He used it, that he thought you became a barbaric when you spoke in tongues. Now, Paul did not say any of those things. But it is certainly what some people wish he had said. And they, would, they have been brave enough to write their opinions whenever they found the opportunity. Let me say why I'm saying this. I, I, I don't want to be negative, but I'm doing a great job right now. <laughs> the, the problem is there's a problem. I wish I could ignore it. I wish I could say there's nothing there. But here's the fundamental problem. People who are cessationists, people who are Calvinistic, write books. And when they write books, they write volumes. Multi, volume one, volume two, volume three. They write a lot. And, they're, and they're, they're. Pentecostals, on the other hand, write tracts. You find ours left on a counter at McDonald's. That's what we write. And so you've got Pentecostals with little tracts. And you've got others writing great tomes, just boom, 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 going right down the line. So let's suppose you decide it's time. I, I need to learn. What's this passage mean? You go to the, the, the library. You go to any kind of Christian resource. And you look up and say, what do the scholars say this means? And you come out with cessationism. You come out with them saying all of these different things. We had a, we had a professor at uh, Life Bible College years ago when I was a teacher there. And he was a, he was a, he was a, a well-known man and a, and, and a loved man. But he, had, he, was, he was given the assignment to teach Romans, Romans 1 through 8. He, that's, all, that's what he taught, it was Romans 1 through 8. And uh, he taught Calvinism, predestination. And you think, how on earth does a four-square professor in a four-square Bible college teach predestination? Well, I can tell you how it happens. He's not a bad man. What he did is they said, uh, Dr. So-and-so, would you teach on Romans? Okay, sure. So he goes to the library, and he pulls out all the books on Romans, and he takes them back to his office, and he opens it up, and he reads through it. And they're all cessationist. They're all predestination. That's all there's taught. So at, when he goes through Romans 9, he, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. You know, of course, God hated that little baby with red hair all over it. You know, uh, even before it's born. You know, and so he's taught that over and over again. So you turn a good man into this doctrine. How? He went to the books. If you look at your footnotes in your Bible, they'll say a lot of this stuff. It's consistent. It's, what I'm telling you is it's not an accident that the Western church has ended up where we've ended up. It's been hundreds of years. Not the last 25. Not anything like that. This has been consistent. Why? Are these bad people? No, they don't know what to do with tongues. They either haven't seen it. They haven't experienced it. They're afraid of it. It sounds horrible to them. And so they're stuck with this awkward moment in which Paul seems to like it. But he, but he shouldn't. This is nonsense. And so they're trying to help Paul, and they're writing it out of the Bible. I, I, she, she's not here, so I can tell this story. <laughs> My wife is not only the daughter of a pastor. She's the niece of a pastor. She is the granddaughter of a of a couple of pastors. Well, her father, her grandfather, was the president of Spokane College, which merged with another one to become PLU. She has got such pedigree, you wouldn't believe it. 
She's a, she, I mean, she's got Lutheran lines all the way back to Luther, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, she does. She's got them on both. I mean, I won't, I won't go down the line. And so, so this woman is... The, so when I, when I first met her, I, I, I met her at, 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 a, at a dance in our sophomore year. I had seen her before. Uh, but I met her, and, and uh, we got walk, went out for a walk, and, and um, she asks me this horrible question on our, our first date. She says, um, do you know anything about speaking in tongues? And I thought, oh, perfect, perfect. I like this girl. She's now going to know I'm a nut. <laughs> I've got to tell her I'm, I, I speak in tongues. And I thought, you know, so the wheels are spinning. How do I phrase this? So I said, well, do you believe the Bible? She says, yeah. And I said, well, it's in there. <laughs> How's that for subtle? Yeah. And here's this Luther pastor, Lutheran pastor, raised Luther League, the whole night. She looks at me and goes, where? I've never seen that. Now it's in her Bible as much as it is mine. Why didn't she see it? It's never taught. It's ignored. Just looked over. So I said, it's, try, Rome, uh, try 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. So she said, oh, well, I will. And she came back and she said, who put that in my Bible? <laughs> she did. Now don't tell her I said this. She's out there somewhere. I know. So she's, I, so, I'm saying these things to tell you not to be mean. Because I'm not angry at anybody. But brothers and sisters, if we're going past this hurdle, we're going to have to go to the Bible and just read it clean and straight. What does the Apostle Paul say? And you have to make a decision. I'm choosing to follow him in spite of what others say he says. You have to make that decision. So it's no wonder you and I have struggled to learn what this passage means. There has been a deliberate, long-standing campaign of distortion, and it's worked. The supernatural gifts of the Spirit have been almost completely absent in the majority of the church in the Western world. Thankfully, the rapidly growing church in Asia, Africa, and Latin America is largely Pentecostal. Did you know that? The church growth around the world is Pentecostal, almost entirely. I, I read an article a while back, and uh, the, the author was very, very, very insightful. He said, he said, the clash of the future. He said, the way, the way the world is going right now, the great clash of the future is between militant Islam and Pentecostal Christianity. He said that is the clash. They're largely Pentecostal because these believers haven't read the, those commentaries, but simply take the Bible in a straightforward manner. And if you and I are going to regain the vitality of the early church or the vitality of the non-Western church, we need to remove that antagonistic preconditioning out of our thinking. And let the Bible speak again. And the passage we're studying today is certainly no exception. We need to hear what Paul actually said to the Corinthians about speaking in tongues. And then you and I need to act on what our apostle teaches us. 
Because speaking in tongues isn't a useless gift. It isn't the, quote, least of the gifts. It is a precious resource perfectly designed by God to accomplish exactly what he intended to accomplish in our life. And what is its purpose? Let's read this passage again because in it, Paul answers that question in unmistakable terms. What did Paul say? Before we can understand what Paul is about to say, we need to remember the overall principle he's explaining. He is showing the Corinthians how God's love will guide their use of the spiritual gifts, the pneumatica, things of the spirit. To illustrate his point, he has selected two of those gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And as we will discover later in this chapter, he chose them because the Corinthians were misusing the gift of tongues in their gathered services. Apparently, many of them were speaking in tongues loudly, all at once, and for significant amounts of time. The result was chaotic and frightened visitors. So Paul is teaching the church how to properly conduct a church service. He wants them to stop being selfish. Many are only concerned about edifying themselves, but he wants them to seek to edify others. He has already told them his general opinion about tongues. He said, quote, I want you all to speak in tongues. But in this passage, he will say that the church, in the church, he wants them to restrain their speaking in tongues because that gift does not edify others unless it's translated into their own language. In that case, he says, it can be just as helpful as prophecy. So with this context in mind, let's listen as Paul continues to counsel the Corinthians. He's just asked them how helpful it would be if when he came to Corinth, he only spoke to them in tongues. And then he says this. Here's my paraphrase. But I, I translated it. Boy, this was a hard passage too. Lots of vocabulary. I didn't. So I've, I've, had, I've translated it and now I'm trying to put it in our language in English uh, so we can just understand it. Paul says this. This principle of communication that our words must be understood by someone else to be of help to them is true not only of the words people say, it is also true of musical instruments. Though the instruments themselves are only lifeless objects, when someone plays that instrument properly, it too says something that other people can understand. Take, for example, a flute or a lute. People translate that, mine says harp. The word is Kithara, kithara. Do you recognize guitar? That's the root word for a guitar. So he's talking about probably a 10-string lute, something like that. So come on, they're talking guitar. If someone plays random notes that have, have no melody, how would a listener know what song is being played? Here's another example. In the military, soldiers rely on a trumpeter to give them certain signals. But if someone picks up a trumpet and blasts a bunch of disconnected notes, no one will understand what the trumpet said, and no one will prepare for battle. Do you understand the point I'm making, says Paul? In our word, if our words make no sense to those who are listening, we leave them in confusion. Unless the words we speak are clearly understood, we are only making noise. We are only speaking, we are speaking to no one. We are merely making sounds in the air. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, when we open that chapter on love, what does he say? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am what? Sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. This is exactly it. 
in order to not be sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, he would need to interpret the tongue. So everyone understood. If you just leave it out there, you just leave it, it's noise. If we could count all the intelligent voices in the world, Paul uses the word phone. Uh, phone, uh, we would do P-H-O-N-E, I guess me with an accent. Phone, that means a sound, but it, it's a sound that comes from a mind. A sound that's being made by, it could be an animal, but it's not just your noise. It's not just a cry. It's an intelligent communication, some kind of sound like that. He says, though there are, if we could count all the phone in the world, I am sure that we would find that there are an enormous numbers, number of such languages. And not one of them is without meaning. But if I don't know what a particular voice is saying, I've become a foreigner to the person who's speaking, and the person who's speaking has become a foreigner to me. So because you are so zealous for the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, I want you to make a conscious effort to use those gifts to help everybody in the church. And if you will do that, the entire congregation will receive an abundance of ministry. Did you hear where he's going with this? He says, go ahead, stay zealous. He doesn't say, calm down, you crazies. He says, stay zealous, but be zealous about helping others. Not zealous for yourself. He just refocuses their zeal. He says, be zealous, but use these things to bless others. Let love guide you in how you're zealous. Now, here's the guideline I want you to follow. If someone feels God is leading them to speak in a tongue in a service because he wants everyone in that service to hear it. In other words, there's, there's private prayer in tongue. But if God's going to want you to speak out in the tongue so everyone can hear it, before, the, before that person opens their mouth, I want him or her to ask God to give them the understanding of what they're saying so they can explain it to everyone afterward. Did you, did you follow this? Let's suppose I feel the Lord's giving me a tongue to bring in a gathered meeting. Before I bring it, I have to ask God, give me the understanding of what I'm about to speak so I can then translate it, interpret it, explain it to the congregation as soon as I'm done. Now, this is interesting because the, the, the traditional Pentecostal model is somebody just sort of brings a tongue and tosses it into the, into the congregation like a live grenade and waits to see what happens, you know, like, so, la, 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 and they, they do something like that, and then it's kind of like, then they sit down, and it's kind of like, go for it. Let's see you do something with that. <laughs> and uh, there's been a number of times where I have to, okay, Lord, give me the interpretation. I, you know, here it comes, boom. If I'm going to bring a, a tongue in a gathered service, I'm the responsible to bring the interpretation. That's what he says. I mean, I, I, I'm not, that's not my opinion. That's what he says right there as clearly as it could be. Let the one who's going to do it pray that he may interpret. All right? And then he gives the example of it. He illustrates it. Remember, when a person speaks in a tongue, they normally don't know what they're saying. The Holy Spirit gives their human spirit words to pray to God, but that person's mind does not understand. So here's what should happen. 
after the person has asked to be given the translation or explanation of the words they're about to speak by the Spirit, that person will go ahead and pray out loud in the Spirit, and then when they are finished, they will tell everyone what they just said in a language everyone understands. I didn't make that up. That's what he just said. If the, the word in, you find in your Bible, interpretation, do you see that word? The word is, it's Hermenuo. It's the, it, it, the root of it is Hermes, the god of speech. Hermenuo. Um, and it, every place else in the Bible, New Testament and Greek Old Testament, it always means translation. You say, well, why does it interpretation here? The reason I told you before. If it's translation, then it's, these are truly languages. And people don't want them to be languages, so they use the word interpretation for a word everywhere else. They will translate as translate. Just saying. That's the way it is. I, uh, I know that. I did a paper on that at Fuller. Um, I mean, I said, what's, what's tongue supposed to be? And that's what I found out. So, he, what is it? Now, here's the, here is the key concept, I think, behind interpretation. That Nehemiah passage I give you. They had, they had gathered, Ezra the scribe had gathered together all of the books, or the ones that were existent at the time, all of the Old Testament books he had actually put in one place. Before, before Ezra, there weren't books all in one place, just people, scattered books everywhere. So he gathered them all, and they had, they had the Torah, the five books. And so they, just, they were going to read then the Torah out loud to the people because they hadn't heard it. <laughs> you know? So, they, so he, they built a great big wooden platform for Ezra. And they, put the, they put the Torah in front of him. And then all through this crowd, it'll be probably a million people. I mean, you're looking at an enormous crowd of people. So you got all these people. You, you, you have these wooden stands. And on the stand stood the interpreter. And because here's the problem. The people no longer speak Hebrew. They speak Aramaic. It's kind of a Hebrew-like thing that they learned in Babylon. So they have this language that they, so when the Hebrew Bible's read, they don't get it. It's like Latin, the, 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 some churches read Latin. It's like people, if you don't speak Latin, a person can stand up there and speak it and read it, but you don't know what they just said. Yet need it, put it in English or Spanish or whatever your language is. So they had these people posted all through. So then Ezra would stand there and he'd read out loud, you know, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know? and, then, and then the interpreters would say, it, in, in Aramaic, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in their language. They're the interpreter. They're the translator. This is what is going on. So Paul says, when you bring a tongue in another language, just like Ezra, I want you to put it in their language. Now, can you do that? Yes, you can. Years ago, I, I never put these pieces together, really. But years ago, I heard Oral Roberts. And you may have various opinions on him. The, the guy was really good when he was young. Let me just say that. He was the real thing. And I heard Oral Roberts say, you can ask God for the interpretation to your own tongue. And he took it from this. And I thought, really? I didn't know you could do that. And so he, he said, you pray in tongue, and then you, 
and you ask, and then you pray the interpretation. So I remember the first time I really did this. I, I, uh, I, all right, I, I sat there and I, I prayed in this tongue, and then I waited, and I sensed sort of an English praise or, or thanksgiving being coming up to God. So I started, I just, and it came out of here. I wasn't concocting it, okay? So then I just prayed that. Just, oh, look, something on the order of, Lord, how great are you? How mighty and strong and lovely. You've created the earth. You've made us in your image. You've loved us. And I, I don't know, just out it came. And that kind of stopped. And then I went back and I started praying in my tongue again. And then I started praying in English again. And now, and even, and then, and then when that got done, I prayed in tongues again, and I prayed in English again, and it went deeper and deeper and deeper into my soul. I mean, I began to pray things right out of the pain of my deep heart. I began to my pour out my soul to the Lord in this process of pray in tongues and then interpret it. Now, here's what Paul is saying: there is a gift that God will bring into a gathered church service. Now, remember what he said tongues is? He says, who prays when you, what's, what's, what's going on when a person speaks in tongues? Their human spirit is being given words by the Holy Spirit. Did you follow? So I don't, my mind doesn't know what I'm saying, but my human spirit is given these words, and my human spirit is praying, blessing God, and giving thanks well enough, correct? What direction is that? It's heavenward, isn't it? And yet, if you find, follow the classical Pentecostal approach to things, you'll have somebody go off in a tongue, and then they start. And then the next thing you'll hear is, "Yea, my people, have I not called you to myself? Have I not, you know, set you apart unto?" It's a prophecy, a downward prophecy of God to us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're translating what I just said, my spirit ain't going to say to you, "Yea, my people, have I not called you to myself?" Unless I'm sick. My spirit's going to talk to him. In my opinion, the Pentecostal culture has never understood this passage. And as a result, this gift has fundamentally been lost almost entirely. I have seen it at work. And I'll tell you what it looks like. I, I, it, all of a sudden, there can, there can come a tongue. And then suddenly, that person turns and begins to glorify God in, in, in our language in, in a way such as, just imagine you're worshiping, but out, out of this comes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars which thou hast made. Talk about Beautiful. It just takes the worship of that people to another level. All of a sudden, there's a spirit-given, spirit-guided, spirit-given blessing, thanksgiving that rises up and lifts us beyond our mundane and into something special. I'm just telling you, it's there and it's beautiful. It's been neglected. I've had people say to me, well, why would you want that? And I thought to myself, why would you ask that? Prophecy is the Lord speaking to us. In fact, the next section of this, pas- of, of this passage in Corinthians 14, Paul's going to talk about prophecy and how precious it is and how important it is. 
But he, there is also a gift in which he says that that, that that blessing and that thanksgiving can be interpreted and lift us all in worship. How do you get strong? How do you get refreshed? How do you lift the heaviness and the weight of the world off? You praise your way through it. You bless the Lord. You worship your way through it until that stuff falls off like old, like old scales, right? That's what this is. And this same procedure can also be done with singing in tongues. Did you hear that? To God. First, the person will sing the words where the Holy Spirit gives them, and then they will sing the translation or explanation. If you don't obey this guideline that I'm giving you, here's what will happen, says Paul. Those who come into the service by themselves, and that's the word he uses. We make fun of it because the word is idiotes. We say idiots, you know. Um, But it didn't mean that. Idiotes means the person who comes basically by themselves. They're unsponsored. They're untaught. They're just an individual. Because they're curious or genuinely seeking to learn more about Jesus, will have no idea what's going on. All they'll hear is someone talking in a foreign language. And even though your spirit is powerfully blessing God and giving him thanks, that person will not be able to participate in what you're doing. They won't be able to say amen at the end of your prayer. In case you think I'm cautioning you in the use of speaking in tongues, says Paul, because I don't value this gift as much as you do, let me tell you how much I use this gift personally. I give thanks to God that I continually speak in tongues more than all of you put together. That's, and that is it. It's in the plural. It's all of you all. I speak in tongues more than you all, if you want to put it that way. So just picture Paul. You know, it's a funny thing about people who like to speak in tongues and stuff in front of people. They usually don't do much at home. It's sort of a show thing. But the real, the, the real Pentecostal is where here's Paul. When he's walking from town to town, he's, in the, he's singing in the spirit. He's worshiping the Lord. When he sits at night, when he sits in a jail, uh, out, he's just worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. He understands what he's doing. Probably the very process I just described. Because he's the one who says, what will I do then? I'll, I'll pray with, with in, a, in a tongue. I'll pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the tongue. I'll sing with the understanding. He's describing himself. This is what he does. He says, you, 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 you pray in tongues? I do more than all of you put together. My devotional life is constantly filled with praying and singing in the Spirit. But when I'm at church, a church service with other believers, I would rather speak five words that I understand so that my, I may instruct others in how to walk with God than to stand in front of everyone and speak thousands of words in an unknown tongue. Why? Because God's love constrains me to do everything I can to help others know him better. All right, the right words. If you and I listened carefully to what Paul taught in this passage particularly verses 14 through 17. Then we now know what sort of things we are being said when someone speaks in tongue or sings in tongues. That person is praying or praising God. Say praying or praising God. God. That's what's happening when you are praying in tongues. By the way, there's only one other reference I know that's a clear explanation of, of what the, what's being said in, in a tongue, and that's Acts chapter 2, verse 11. 
And in that passage, it says we, uh, you have Pentecost, and you have all these nations that have gathered around, uh, Jews from all these nations, and they say, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God. What, what would you call that? Praise, exactly. So it's completely consistent. There aren't different kinds of gifts of tongues. There's tongues, and there's different uses for it, not, not different gifts. Paul even described how that happens. He says the Holy Spirit gives that person's spirit the words that they ought to speak to God. And we need to recognize the significance of that statement. Why would we need the Holy Spirit to give us words to pray? And why would he cause us to say those words in a foreign language that our mind doesn't understand? I think an answer, the answer is found in Romans chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 2. That in that chapter of Romans, Paul compares believers in Jesus Christ to the people of Israel when they were still in bondage in Egypt. He does that by using the word groan. Would you say groan? groan. He uses exactly the same word that Moses used to describe Israel's misery. Look, this is, this is, this is again, you've got you to be looking carefully. Paul uses a word, stenazo, groan. And he says creation groans. He said spirit-filled believers groan. And he says the Holy Spirit groans. And he uses this word in each case. Now, where does he get that word? Why would you pull that word in? You go right back to, to, to Exodus, and Moses writes, in the Hebrew it says groan, but in the, in the Greek translation of that passage, it uses this exact word, stenazo, groan. It's an unusual word. Paul is, Paul is, is, this is Rabbi Paul going back and saying, we're like, we're like Israel in Egypt. Creation is groaning. We're groaning. And the Spirit helps us groan in our suffering. He's within us. Listen, would you read this out loud with me? And the sons of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Groaning is that wordless sound that comes out of us when we're suffering. The Bible applies it to those who are enduring childbirth, grieving for the dead, suffering in pain, facing judgment, or feeling sorrow for their sins. Even though there are no words associated with groaning, the sound itself is full of meaning. It clearly expresses the anguish of the heart. It communicates a longing for relief. It's a desperate cry for someone to come and rescue us out of a terrible situation. And Moses says God heard the groaning of Israel and answered their cry for help. So when Paul chooses that same word, Stanazo, to describe believers who are still living in the midst of, this, uh, of a suffering creation and are still burdened by a dying body with all of its weakness and temptations. We're not, we're not in, you and I aren't in Egypt. We're trapped on a dying planet. We're trapped in bodies that are dying and aging and full of temptation. Yes? Yes, yes we are. Just like Egypt 
just like Israel trapped in Egypt, you and I are trapped here, not yet in our full. Paul will say, even we, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even, we also groan within ourselves, longing for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, waiting for the resurrection. He's telling us why we need the Holy Spirit to help us pray. Listen, would you read this with me? In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes, asks God to help us, with groanings too deep for words, unspoken groans. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you and I understand what he just said? He said we believers are weak because we don't know how to pray properly. Apparently, we often say the wrong things or don't say the right things at the right time. Now, I'll just speak for myself. When I'm in trouble, my, my prayers usually end up with uh, self-justification, whining, and uh, begging. It is a beautiful combination that rises to heaven like a, like, like a stinky garbage pan. <laughs> Have you ever felt the need for help in prayer? I mean, in the worship today, right in the middle... It says, yes, I will. In the middle of my, prayer, my pain, yes, I will praise you. Yes, I will. And what does Paul say? You are giving thanks. In the middle of your pain, in the middle of your groaning, your spirit's giving thanks. In the middle of your groaning and sorrow, you are blessing God and declaring the mighty works of God. Imagine that. Why would that make you strong? <laughs> Why would it not? That's exactly the way we're supposed to respond. Apparently, we often say the wrong things. I read that. Here's the good news. Paul says the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us pray. He literally prays for us. When we're groaning, he joins us. When we're confused, he prays the will of God. I realize this passage in Romans doesn't specifically mention speaking in tongues. But it does tell us that the Spirit has been sent to help us pray. And we've learned that speaking in tongues is Spirit-guided prayer and praise. So it seems impossible that these two passages don't have a connection. What Paul says the Spirit does in Romans must be part of what he says the Spirit does in 1 Corinthians. The one who groans on our behalf in Romans surely gives our spirit the right words to pray in the midst of our groaning in 1 Corinthians. So far from being the least of the gifts, speaking in tongues is probably the gift you and I need the mo most often and most desperately. It's the words the Father is waiting to hear us say. It's the prayer and praise that will make us strong when we're weak. No wonder Paul prayed that way more than all of us. No wonder he was so strong when he went through such terrible trials. You see the Acts chapter 16 verse I put in there? 1625, anyone guess what that is? It's Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail. Not just a jail, the dungeon. 
They had been beaten mercilessly. Their backs were bloody. Their, their rear ends were bloody. So they're sitting on this, on this bruised, broken skin in stocks with their feet and arms locked in front of them. So they, they can't get comfortable. The blood is drying on their backs. And it's pitch dark, not a light in the place. It's like a living hell. And what did they do? It says there, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. They are praying and praising God. This is the deal. There they are. Now, did they? Do, it doesn't say they did it in tongues, but and I'm sure they used songs they knew. But the man who wrote this, who says, "This is what I'll do. I will." Pray in the spirit and I'll pray with the understanding. And Silvanus, that's Silas. He's the guy who wrote for Peter his letters. He's, he's also, a, 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 he's, a, he's a Messianic Jew as well. These two men are sitting there locked in this thing. And here they go in the spirit, worshiping and singing out. And the whole prison heard in the middle of that darkness. And so did God. And the earth quaked. And the bars broke, and the, on all the doors, and the entire place swung open, and and not one prisoner ran because the power was there. Look, brothers and sisters, you and I groan. We're in situations. Come on, where you come, where you you're standing there, you're sitting outside the doctor's office, waiting for a, an opinion on your health. You're, 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 you get something in the mail that shatters your heart. You lose your job. You're alone. You're, you keep fighting and losing the battle with addiction. You hate it. You've promised yourself a million times you would stop and you do it again. And there you sit wanting to kill yourself. You don't know what to say. In that sorrow, in that moment, you're overwhelmed. God has not left us without this precious resource. Think of it this way. You have a toolbox. And you've got in that toolbox, you've got a saw and you've got a hammer. You've got a chisel. And you've got a screwdriver. Now somebody comes along and says, well, you don't need a screwdriver. That's the least of the gifts. So let's take, get rid of that. Look, when I need to cut wood, the saw is what I need. When I need a hammer and nail, I will need the hammer. When I chisel, that's what I'll get a chisel. But when I need to tighten a screw down, I need the screwdriver. And every one of these gifts has a perfectly, it's perfectly designed to do something in our lives. And each one has its purpose. So the mind that says the least of the gifts, again, we're back to that mind of those who are afraid of this stuff. We're all weirded out by it. And are trying to get rid of it so they don't have to do it. Because they're scared. That's really the root of it. And so they say stuff like that. It's the least of the gifts. You don't need it. Meanwhile, the Christian church is waiting for a a verdict on whether the biopsy shows that they've got cancer or not. Their wife is giving childbirth and there's complications. I went through that. And you leave me with nothing in that pain but to somehow come up with something I ought to pray. 
I can't tell you how grateful I was that I could let the Spirit pray for me. Yes, you need this. Do you have to have it? No. You don't have to have any one of those tools in your toolbox. If you believe in Christ, you're on your way to heaven. But if you're living here on the earth, you've been given some great tools. And I'll bet you're going to need it if you haven't already desperately. I could tell a thousand stories of praying in the Spirit in my moment of need. I prayed today. I do it all the time. Not because I need it. Not because I'm better than anybody else. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. At all. It just means you have that tool in your toolbox. When you're groaning, he will come and pray for you. Father, you are a generous Lord. And you have given us all we need with respect to righteousness. You have not left us without the essential tools that we might live out our lives victoriously, bravely, fruitfully. Come, Lord, and guide us. I ask for each brother, each sister, that you will give us this precious gift. We ask for that. Thank you, Lord. Dear Holy Spirit, how precious you are to us. That you would come and dwell within us. And that in our moment of need. You would give us praise and worship. In our moment of joy. You would give us praise and worship. And give us the words to say. That our father who, who searches our hearts. Hears what you say. And blesses us. We receive and we rejoice. And we thank you. In Jesus powerful name. If you agree with that prayer. Would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.